152 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. Philip is not joining me tonight, but I am joined by Robert Wetzel, one of the original site managers of Cowboys Ride for Free, and he's joining me to talk about his article that y'all hated earlier this week. Uh, how's it going, man? It's going great, and contrary to popular belief, I am not as old as the number of episodes this is. <laughs> well, that's good news, I guess. Uh, what are you, like 25 now? Yeah, oh, well, we may invert one of those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> But so the reason that I'm having you on today is you wrote an article last week. Was, I think it was after the loss on Saturday to Baylor, and it was just titled "Oklahoma State is not a historically good basketball program." And I'll be honest, when I first saw the headline, I hadn't read it yet. I kind of balked at it a little bit, like, "Really? I, I don't know." But once I actually sat down and read it, and you make some really great points in there that really, outside of what Mr. Iba did and what Eddie Sutton did. Really, Oklahoma State's just an average to below average basketball program, um, and I feel like you you put it you lay it out there, to, you know, in a point where it's like it makes a lot of sense. But obviously, you got a ton of backlash. We got hate tweets and hate people that just hate Reddit for the reasons of I, I don't know why, or people that just flat out didn't read it and they just saw the article title and just wanted to shit on us for no reason. Um, but <laughs> I want to just start off with you know what was really the kind of the reasoning for writing this and you know what how how much of this was you know how much really went into this for you because obviously you're a lifelong Oklahoma State fan you have a much bigger sample size of watching Oklahoma State basketball and Oklahoma State sports than I do um, so just talk talk me through your rationale for wanting to write something like this well okay so so when yeah obviously some of it some of the momentum obviously came from being frustrated that the basketball I, team I watched in, uh, you know, back in November uh, at Thanksgiving here in Brooklyn, um, it, it, it's, it's not even remotely what we're watching right now. And, and, we, and we don't know, right? We, we don't know. We're not there. We're not inside the program. We, there's there's just no way for us to know exactly what's going on and and so there was some obviously some negative emotions involved but i started i just kind of started thinking about it and i was like well really for my entire oklahoma state uh sports life okay and i mean you can look at football too Football, you can, I could really treat football the same way as I treat basketball. I was not an Oklahoma State fan and really aware of it until probably 71-ish, 72, 1971, 72, okay? And if you take that period to now, okay, football and basketball are not all that dissimilar in the overall uh, scope of the program, right? So if you take that period of time and and examine the the records, okay, if you remove Mike Gundy from football, Oklahoma State's football program Ugh. is a historically losing program, okay? And it's not like you're at point four nine or anything like that. You're you you're losers, okay? Right. Or as Lewis Black would say, losers, <laughs> okay? 
Too bad they can't see video because I can really do that. Um, basketball is no different in that in that time span, right? Outside of Eddie Sutton, basketball is probably worse than football in that time span. That's not to say they always lost, right? They didn't always lose. I was there for the Paul Hansen years, at least some of them. I was there when Eddie Halfcourt Hannon threw it in to beat Louisville in overtime. I was I was there. I rushed the court, right? But I also remember the days in the 70s of Randy Wright and OSU would miss layups. And Kansas State was a behemoth, okay? So so my once I started, I mean, everybody at, at Cowboys Ride for Free and even people that have read some of my writing, I really don't. I would, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but in, in, in self kind of in self, uh, evaluation here, it's not often that I just write just a raw opinion piece with no data, right. right. And just rant. I'm a day. I like data. It's part of the job I do on a daily basis. I enjoy data. So once I started to think about it, I started like, well, really, you know, if you take away Henry Iba and you take away Eddie Sutton, and and arguably those two hires have asterisks next to them. Okay, can okay? you talk about that? Yeah, because that was the point that I not contended, but was just very intrigued by what you mean by Oklahoma well, State lucked into those guys. It's obviously they, you know. Right. So let let's go to that now because I just okay, I'm so, very curious so, what where you can, where you get that rationale from. Right. So. So if you think Henry Iba, Henry Iba was hired in 1934, to, before, the, before the 1934 season, going into that season. And if you just, you know, think about it, right? And no, I was not alive then, all right? But 1934, college basketball was, was nothing. It was in its infancy, okay? Nobody knew what it was. There were no, like... Kentucky and Duke that wasn't those dynasties like that wasn't like that right you didn't have TV and and all that it just wasn't there basketball was not all that at that time and who the heck knew who Henry Iba was okay he came from like uh I think it was might have been Merriweather College he went to or something like that like who knew who he was and that he was going to turn into a legend Okay, at that time, no idea. So the fact that he ended up being Oklahoma State's basketball coach, to me, really in retrospect, was was it just was just blind luck. Okay, it's not like the it's not like the board of regents and the athletic director went out and went on this exhaustive 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 search, and they said, "Oh, here's Henry Iben. We have to go hire him." They had no idea what they were doing at that time. No clue. So you got Henry Iba. It was a it was a luck hire, okay? Pure luck. Nobody had any idea, and really at that time, probably nobody cared, okay? Now Eddie Sutton, completely different animal, okay? But still a very fortunate hire, and call it a luck hire, maybe, but for very different reasons. Eddie Sutton was coming off of the the huge controversy. NCAA sanctions at Kentucky, all right? He was forcibly resigned from Kentucky in 80, I think it was 89, 90, 89 or 90, I think. 
he was forcibly, I mean, he was basically told, we're going to fire you, so we'll let you resign so you can save face, right? And he, he had already had his successful stint at Arkansas. He had his successful stint at Kentucky. And nobody was going to touch him with a 10-foot pole. Nobody. So then Oklahoma State comes calling his alma mater where he had played for Henry Iba in the 60s, okay, uh, which we'll revisit here in a minute. So he had played for Henry Iba, and look at that. Look where I get to go. I get to go back to Oklahoma State. They want me. Everybody there, they want me. They love me, right? Nobody else wanted him coming out of Kentucky. And so Oklahoma State, like, stepped in it and, and got one of, I would argue, easily, easily in the top 10 all-time college basketball coaches. Uh, maybe not quite top five, but, but he's in the top 10 all-time college basketball coaches. Uh, you know, the, again, we keep visiting. The, the fact that he's not in the, the Naismith, is it's a travesty it's a and, and it's all because it's, an of, it's a joke and it's all because of what happened at Kentucky okay that's that's it it's all because of what happened there so those two hires call them whatever you want to call them okay but Oklahoma State in in modern day basketball, and I'm going to say modern day basketball is from the point at which OSU joined the Big Eight in like 1950. I think 858 59 was their first full season. Either 58 59 or 59 60 was their first full season in the Big Eight, uh, and they came out of the Missouri Valley Conference. All right. Since then, right, Oklahoma State's not going to go out and compete for the level of coach that Eddie Sutton was. Right? Okay, yeah, I follow. Right? I mean, they're not, they're not going to do that. Oklahoma State's the type of basketball program that's going to go out and do what Texas tried to do. Texas is not that far um, a, a field of what Oklahoma State is, but historically, Texas, if you take away their two or even three best basketball coaches in their history – still has a winning percentage in the 500s, okay? okay? So they are what I would call a historically good basketball program. If you even take away their best production, they're still a winning program. If you take away Oklahoma State's best production, which are these two coaches, which, okay, that's, you know, 40-something percent of their basketball history, right? If I mean, and that's a lot, but if you take that away outside of those two coaches, Oklahoma State's a loser. They're a loser. They, they don't even, they barely win at, at, a, at a 45% clip, okay? That's not a historically good basketball program. That's a program, in my opinion, amateur opinion, that has had two historically great coaches, okay? But outside of them, they're not historically good, okay? Texas has had one uh, fairly well-known coach, Rick Barnes. Tom Penders was a fairly well-known coach, okay? But if you take those two guys out, they're still winning at a, at a, a you know, plus 500 clip, 
right? So I would call them historically good program. If you take Syracuse or Duke, okay, for example, take away Coach K or take away Bayheim, who the, both of those coaches have been there since, you know, Jesus was a corporal, okay, <laughs> as somebody would say, and uh, as I've heard. If you take those two coaches away from those programs, both of those programs are still winning at plus 600. I think Syracuse is almost six, almost 65%, and I think Duke is fairly similar, right? So those are historically great basketball programs. You take away the bulk of, of what you would consider their, you know, their great, greatest production, their greatest coaches, and those programs are still winning at a clip that puts them in the top, you know, 20. You know, maybe, maybe the top, well, maybe not top 20, maybe the top 50, but at least, at least the top 50 programs of all time and probably like the top 30 of all time, even if you take away their greatest production, right? Eddie Sutton and Hank Iba, Mr. Iba, if you put those two coaches together, right, in Oklahoma State history, they would be number eight all time, okay? They would be number eight winning percentage all time. But when you add them to the rest of Oklahoma State history, Oklahoma State's not even the top 50. They don't even have a winning percentage. So I, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, oh, Oklahoma State sucks. That's not what I'm saying, per se. It's if you take those two away, Oklahoma State is a loser in basketball, right? So then you can't turn around and say that Oklahoma State is a historically good basketball program because outside of their of their two coaches that were were spectacular, outside of that, they've been historically bad. I mean, if you look at let and I, I pointed at this in the article, right? Because even today now, it's it's huge today. Most of your major programs, no different than college football, who are you playing to a large extent in non-conference play? Right. You, you, you play. Right. You play a lot of teams that are like, eh, you know, whatever. Doesn't say you don't play somebody decent here and there. Oh, you're trying to get non-conference wins so you can go into conference play with a good record. Yeah, I see. Exactly. Because really you're trying to get to that 20. If you can get to 20 and then hope that all the dominoes fall right so that things look like good wins and losses look like good losses. Right. Then you make you make the dance. So. Uh, if you look at conference play, right, I think you could start to get a much better feel on was that a really good team or not, okay? So in Oklahoma State's history, since I don't say history, let's forget pre-IBA. So I'll, I'll talk about what the article said. Just talk about Henry Iba forward. You have 82 seasons, 82 conference seasons. Okay, so 44 and 45, I think it was, no, yeah, I think it was 44, 45, 45, 46. So right at the end of World War II, right, you didn't have any conference play, right? Oklahoma Oklahoma A&M won or, you know, went undefeated and got retroactively given a football national championship. Oklahoma A&M won the first back-to-back NCAA basketball championships. 
at a time when a lot, a lot of athletes were overseas. Okay. Very good story. I'm going to do a little tangent here. My father was, uh, was in college uh, at Oklahoma A&M in the late 30s. He graduated in the 30, 39 or 40. Um, he was in the Navy uh, for, a, for like about nine or 10 months, uh, right towards the end of the war. Never went overseas because he was, he was 4F. He was classified 4F, colorblind. So you can't, Navy, you couldn't go overseas if you were colorblind. And there's another whole other story behind that, which is true, but I can't, I'm not going to bore everybody with it. But anyway, um, he stayed very friendly with a lot of kids. He still knew a lot of people at school. And one of the stories he told me about Oklahoma A&M at that time football was that, you know, Fenimore, Bob Fenimore was, a, was an incredible player, right? There was some reason why he did not go overseas. There's some reason, and I don't remember why. Uh, but there was some reason he, he did not qualify for military service. Okay. Well, when the, when Bob Fenimore, so when the war was over, so the war's over in 44, right? 45. So in the, well, for, oh yes, 45, yeah, but it was over, it was over before the football season. Yeah. Okay. So it was over before the 1945 football season. So what happened was a lot of Fenimore still had, it was, easy, it was either that year or it was the following year. I think it was the following year because OSU went undefeated in 45, right? Yes. It was the following year. Okay, it was the following year, right? A lot of guys from the war had come back to school, right? They're going to come back to school and they're going to finish. Fenimore still had one year left, Right. And everybody expected him to be like huge. Go pro football was just kind of maybe starting to happen, right? Was just getting going, and everybody thought Fenimore was going to go do a thing. Well, the the army guys came back, and Fenimore, whatever number he used to wear, that belonged to one of the guys who used to be on the team before he went into the military. And when those guys came back. Apparently, that guy wanted his uniform, right? He wanted his number, and Fenimore wouldn't give it up. Hmm. And apparently, over the course of that season, they systematically just beat the crap out of him. Practice, cheap shots in practice, whatever it was, they beat the crap out of him. And my dad said by the end of that season, he was done. He was done. His knees were gone. He was done. Okay. So that's a whole tangent, interesting story. And it may be true. I don't know. My dad, you know, whoever, who knows how accurate that is. The point I'm making is in the period of time when Henry Iba did his greatest work, his, the work that Oklahoma State is recognized for, vast majority of athletes were overseas. Okay. So. Time goes on. Iba does a decent job in the 50s, right? Had a couple of great showdowns with uh, Kentucky, okay? Um, when, uh, when Rupp was, getting, you know, was, was uh, getting his deal going. 1958-59 was the first year that Oklahoma, Oklahoma A&M, and it was now Oklahoma State, was in the Big Eight, Okay. 
from that point on, right? And let's take even the time before that, right? You let's include that because I don't want to get off the point I was going to start with, which was eighty-two. You had eighty-two seasons of conference play, right? Of those eighty-two seasons, Oklahoma State uh, has had seven. No, I got to do the math here. 39, 45, I think it's 44. Yes. Out of those 82 seasons, Oklahoma State's had a winning record in conference play 40, 42 times, 40, no, 44 times. 44 times, something like that. Okay. I have to look, now I'm not looking at my article, but it, if you look at the number of winning, yeah, 44 times, I think. 44 times. If you look at, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, Joel, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess you up here. 39. Out of 82 conference season, Oklahoma State has had 39 winning records. Oh, man. That's right. Only 39 out of 82. So not even half. You've had winning records. All right. Of those 39, 34 came under Iba or Sutton. All right. So of the other 33 conference seasons that were not coached by either Sutton or Iba, you've only had five winning records. Okay. Only five. So the, the point I'm trying, I mean, essentially the point I'm making with the article is just and just embrace the reality, okay? The reality is that the greatest eras in Oklahoma State basketball history, to some degree, were luck, accidental, right? Henry Iba, who knew what you were hiring when you hired him, and Oklahoma State would have never been able to hire an Eddie Sutton on the free market, okay? So that this vision, this, this attitude we had <clears throat> that caused us to, to just completely bail on Travis Ford, which I, that's fine, I'm good. Travis Ford was not going to get us to the promised land, right? But at the same time, should Oklahoma State basketball be expecting the promised land? And I would argue no. I would argue no, that Eddie Sutton and Henry Iba were, to some degree, aberrations. Things that, in modern-day basketball, Oklahoma State would never be able to do, and that we're, we're reduced to doing what we did with Brad Underwood, right? Trying to find the, the diamond in the rough, trying to find that mid-major guy looking to go Power 5, trying to find maybe that Power 5 assistant who is looking for his opportunity, that happens to be that guy, right? And if he's not an Oklahoma State guy, you're going to have that guy. If he comes here and he's successful, you're going to have that guy for, for five years, four or five years max. And then he's going to move on to the big payday if he's that good, okay? So I think for Oklahoma State basketball, it's I would much rather – well, let, let, me, let me just back up here, 
because I started to talk about Henry Iba and when we started playing in the Big Eight. So if you, and I said this in the post, if you just take the point at which we started Big Eight play, right? We've started playing Power Five basketball, right? In 58-59. The greatest, in that period of time, greatest coach in OSU history, without question, Eddie Sutton, right? Who's the second best coach? Travis Ford. That is, that's the, that's the wild, tough pill to swallow right there. And Travis Ford is your second best historical coach since Oklahoma State joined the Big Eight in 1958-59. That's based on Henry, winning, that's a way, that's based on winning percentage, right? Or is that based totally, on winning percentage. Okay. Uh, that's based on winning percentage. Okay. Henry Iba couldn't, he was a less than 400 winner in conference play. I'm going to say in conference play, right? In conference play, Henry Iba was a less than 400 winner. He didn't even, he didn't have a winning record overall, FYI, I don't believe. I'd have to look at it again. But in conference play, right, since joining the Big Eight, only one coach has ever had a winning percentage, and that's Sutton. And after that, Travis Ford is the best, and he was at like a hair over 45%. Okay? So I, I don't want to hear people coming to me, but Oklahoma State's a historically good basketball program. No, they're not. They're not. They've had two historically great coaches. Okay? That's what Oklahoma State's had. They've had two historically great coaches. But outside of those coaches, they've had nothing. And it's not like we're talking about a 10-year period here or even a 20-year period, right? We're talking about 30-plus years. And in the modern era, right, if you're looking at 1958-59 and, and to present, Eddie Sutton was the coach for, for uh, 14, 15, 16 years, 17 years. Sounds about right. Okay, some, I think he came some, in in 90, yeah. Came in in 90, and he left in, I think, 2000, after the, oh, uh, after, 2006. 2005-06 was his last season. So, so you're talking about 16 years, probably, okay, out of 50, 61 years. 61 years of basketball since Oklahoma State joined the Big Eight, okay, not counting this season. 61 years, and the only time Oklahoma State was a winning basketball program was for 16 years of that. So, again, that's all I'm getting at here is if you want to say a program is historically good, then outside of their best production, they need to be winning at least half the time or more. If you want to tell me a basketball program is historically great, then take away their best production, and they need to be winning at over 60% of the time, right? I, and I use the example, uh, uh, a work colleague of mine, I'll call him out on here, Dalton, right? <laughs> he, he had the argument with me that, oh, you'd probably say OU is not historically good. Right, because of the 90s. And I'd say, no, that's not the case. Because if you take away their years of greatest production, right, which is Bud Wilkinson and Barry Switzer, 
If you take away that, arguably two of the greatest periods in any of college football programs history, right? You take away that, and that program is still winning at a clip that puts it in the top 20 historically, easily. Okay? So one, you know, one tenured period, big whoop-de-doo out of 100. So I, my focus is if you take away a program's best production and they're still winning, they're still a winning program, that's historically good or that's historically great, depending on the, you know, on the level. But if you do it and you look at if you do that and the the part you take away and the part you're left with uh, can't win basketball games at better than a 45 percent percentage, 45 percent. Then that's not a historically good program. That's just a program that happened to have two really good coaches in its history. Okay, so at that point now, what do we expect from Oklahoma State basketball? Okay. Because every time we hire a coach, we think that guy is going to take us to the next level. And and here's where I'm really going to go off the rails, Joel. <laughs> I'm really going to go off the rails here. Oh, man. As if you haven't already. This <laughs> Yes. The state of the current state of Oklahoma State basketball has was set by the Travis Ford contract. Okay. And not to drag Mike, Hold, Mike Holder into the muck here. Okay, that that's really not kind of what I want to do, because I think Mike Holder overall has been uh, just an incredible athletic director for the school. Right. As a whole, it's just incredible. Basketball, when he leaves, is going to be the the stain. That'll be the one stain on on his, you know, legacy. And and it really is because of that Ford contract. Which kept. Ford here a couple of years longer than the fans were ready for him to be here. Right. Right. Number one. And, and that's right or wrong, right? Right or wrong. We're not going to say that that was the right thing or the wrong thing, but it kept him here longer than the fans were ready for him to be here. And then you hired, it was a home run hire. Brad Underwood was a home run hire. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. Started conference play 0 and 6, turned the team around. Showed his coaching chops, all right? Showed his coaching chops. Made changes, did what he had to do, figured out how to win games. Immediately expected to get a little more money, and because Holders was still probably a little little sore from the whole Travis Ford debacle, he, he fumbled that. Underwood left because he's going to get hit. He's going to cash his check. And now we have Mike Boynton. And not to say Mike Boynton's not going to be a good basketball coach, but right now, all Mike Boynton is is a, good, is, a is a decent recruiter. That's all he is. He has yet to show us that he can manage the X's and O's. Oklahoma State is now uh, 0-6, right? Right. And you have four games coming up on the schedule before you play Kansas State, which is the other really bad team in the conference. We just played Iowa State, and they're they are they're eighth in the conference. Okay, clearly down at the bottom with us and K State. 
But you've got four more games before you play K-State where you have to play Kansas. you got to play Baylor again, right? You've got to play TCU again. you got to play OU, in, I think, in Norman. I think that's at OU the that first one. That sounds play. right. I think it's in Norman. Okay. So you're looking at O and 10. And even if Boynton was a pretty good X's and O guy, I don't know if you're winning any of the next four games because those teams, you might, you maybe you could pull off TCU because you'll get them in Stillwater. Right. I think there's, I think there's at least one win in the next three, maybe two if weird crap happens. I think the, uh, the, I, 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 God bless your, God bless your optimism, Joel. But <laughs> the, well, here's the thing. I mean, college basketball is so chaotic that you know, Oklahoma yes. State can win a game by accident. They can win that KU game by accident. I don't know what it is, but Bill Self loves giving wins to his alma mater anyway, so that at least gives me some That's sense of optimism. Right. You, you could be right there, but I would say this, that based on what we've seen up to this point, I've seen nothing to this point other than some, some rotational changes, right? We saw some rotational changes. He's definitely decided to start a couple of the freshmen, right? Boone and Anderson, as opposed to Dezagua and Anae. But at that point, you still the, the team is still offensively challenged. Um, he has not found any consistency in his rotation, right? I would, I would really want to try to have a rotation where I keep either Waters or Dezagua on the floor at all times. So you've always got a dude out there that somebody's got to pay attention to as a shooter, right. okay? Although I will say, uh, I like the move of Dezagua to the bench. I think his role is best suited there. He's not a fantastic defender. And you saw the game he had against Baylor in that first game off the bench where I think he made four or five threes and played well enough in 15 to 20 minutes. That's what you need from a guy like that. And I think having a senior as your sixth or seventh man off the bench is a good spot for this team. Um, no, ab- absolutely. And I believe it or not, somebody actually trotted out, trying to think of who it was that trotted out the stat, and it might have been Phillip. Might have been Slavin, who trotted out the stat that that Dezaga was actually OSU's most oh, that efficient. Was a, that was Trey Cobb. <laughs> that was Trey Cobb. There you go. <laughs> yeah, which that, which Philip Philip and I both went bullshit. Um, <laughs> but hey, I mean numbers don't lie. I guess. All right. So so um, I think as you've gotten into Big Twelve play, one of the problems we've run into is a nay. Um, is going to struggle against most of the Big 12 teams. And the biggest reason why is most Big 12 teams have sort of hybrid big men, right? They've got guys who are 6'9", 6'10", but they're kind of big-bodied, and they play the whole floor, right? They can slip out to the three-point line, right? Yeah. Anae's terrible on the switches, not from the fact that he doesn't know how to switch, but the dude's not an agile defender in that regard. He's, he's, he's just not going to, agility-wise, that's not his deal. Anae really should be kind of your classic, you know, low post, on the block, that's it. If, if they're getting him uh, 15 feet away from the basket, then his impact on the game is drastically reduced. Now, to, to, his, to Anae's credit, though, 
he has expanded his game a little bit. He's able to at least make himself a threat from the elbow or the short corner, where we didn't see that at all last season. So we're starting to see a little bit more from him offensively. I think this is just your classic sophomore slump. Um, I think he, right. he, well, he, I was think a him- he was a revelation last season when we're, there was really very low expectation for what he was going to do. Obviously, Boynton putting him in the starting lineup showed what he's going to be able to do, what he was able to do, and what he's capable of. I think teams just there's just film on him and teams are, have figured him out. I would expect he's going to bounce back. I think he's a great player. We've talked about that on the podcast. You and I have, Philip and I have. Um, I, I still think he's one of the best. He's the best big man Oklahoma State has had in a very long time. I think this is just your classic let down after a great freshman season. I, I right. No, I I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that Ane is clearly the best big man, the true, true, like traditional big guy Oklahoma State's had since uh, big country. Uh, not to say he's big country. It's, that's a long ways off. But no doubt. Yeah. you pointed out he's been, I mean, really from the beginning of the season, and we saw this in Brooklyn, the dude can hit shots at 12 feet. He's money. Yeah, that's all you need from a guy like that. Like You need the him. Dude, if, if you're, if you're going to be a traditional big man in today's very positionless basketball, you have to be able to hit shots from that 12 to 15 foot range. And he showed he is fully capable of that. If he's able to stretch the floor just like that, that's what you need from a guy like that. And and you need that. But here's here's the rub. Oklahoma State is not. So if you look at, you know, when you're when you're on the defensive end, right, you want to put your players based on who's on the floor in a position that allows them to most efficiently guard people, right? So if you got a, a, a bunch of guys out there who are super athletic, okay, then you're, you're pressing, you're jumping passing lanes, you're pressing 20 feet from the basket, you're chasing, okay, you're chasing because guys are going to be able to switch because they're quick, they're fast, they're athletic, and they can jump and they can move. If you've got guys out there who are not, then you're you're just facing up defense. Okay, keep guys in front of you. If somebody's going to take a shot, you're you're somewhat in their face on taking a three, but you're not chasing the ball, right? You not don't chase the ball because if you chase the ball, you're going to just give up a bunch of wide open looks, right? So that's the defensive end. On the offensive end, you have only one goal. <clears throat> all right, and that's identify the people on your team who are capable of making shots. Where do they make shots from? And you run stuff to get them the ball where they make shots. Your A, okay, is going to struggle right now because they're trying to get him the ball with his back to the basket where his strength is not ball handling, number one. And number two, we're in a slump shooting from the outside, so teams are tending to sit on us a little bit, right? So he's got no place to go with the ball. Run things that put him 12 and 15 feet from the basket and let him shoot. Okay. Let the freaking guy shoot. You know, get him out of the middle of a lane and let him hit a couple of shots. And if he does, now his guy's got to come out of the lane to guard him. And now you have an open floor. You have an open floor for Likely. You have an open floor for McGriff, who can take that ball to the hoop. You've got an open floor for Anderson, who has shown the ability to get to the hoop. Lindy Waters is a capable driver of the ball, all right? But you, you with Ine in the game, 
you he can't stand around in the middle. And it it just you know I I I, I want to see from Boynton the willingness at this point, right? You're zero and six. Time to be desperate. It's time. You have to start doing things that look different than what you're doing up to this point. It, it's got to start to look different. I've I've said this about football. I've said it about basketball. When you get new coaches, right? If you hire somebody new and they're really it, this is the coach. This is the coach for us. Not to say he's the guy who's going to take us to a championship, a national championship, whatever. But if he is truly the better choice, when you start watching tape, when you start watching games, they're going to look different. Okay? Oklahoma State football this year, we hired Sean Gleason, and we started getting into to regular play, and Oklahoma State didn't look any different to me. And I was like, eh, okay, same stuff. Basketball this year, I commented. I took a I took a, a neighbor of mine to the uh, the Syracuse game in Brooklyn, and he commented on while we were we were there. He commented on how Oklahoma State at one point where Syracuse kind of made a comeback. OSU got up and Syracuse made a comeback and had a lead, and Boynton called a timeout and they came out. And he said it was amazing because it's like they made the choice to come out and say, we don't care about the form. We just care about it being frantic because they just created this frantic atmosphere on the court. People were flying everywhere. Ball was flying around. Bodies are hitting the floor. And all of a sudden you took Syracuse completely out of any kind of formal play of the game, right? And that, to me, felt like the identity of the team. That felt like the identity. And now, it's like they, they, that's nowhere to be seen. And I don't see Boynton doing anything right now to, to change, other than he's changed a little bit of the rotation, but then, of course, in the, the, you know, the second half of Baylor, he ends up going to the same lineup that has struggled right and he didn't stick with what he did in the first half which was winning and um i don't know it's i i want to see i love boynton boynton's a good guy he cares you can tell he cares he cares about the kids he can recruit but i'm at the point where you know wish we'd have kept underwood and boynton would have just been a recruiter because underwood can coach the half court. He can coach the half court. So I, you know, and I hate trying to go to what ifs because at the end of the day, that's all whatever. But I want to know what this team would look like if Isaac likely didn't have mono for a month and they get boat raced by Minnesota. They get boat raced by Wichita State. They go and win at Houston. Good for them. But then you lose to Georgetown because Mac McClung went nuclear. I want to know what this team is like without him. Because, but then you get him back, and then everybody goes into a shooting slump. Like it has just been like Murphy's Law this entire season of everything that can go wrong has since the beginning of December. Lindy Waters, I'm telling you right now, and, and he, I mean, the game against Iowa State was was quite literally his best game in conference play. Oh yeah, up to this point, 
and he still is broken. I think I I think he's got a bum shoulder. Like I could see I I was sitting while I was at the Baylor game with my dad, and he was shooting. And there were a couple times where he looked like he was wincing after shooting. Like I'm not trying to speculate okay. anything at all, but it just it something is off. Something's got to be off. Something's wrong. Something is wrong with Lindy Waters. Has to be because that dude was the closest thing to the human equivalent of Jimmy Chitwood that I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I think there's got to be something up. And like I said, I don't want to speculate too much because I really, I know nothing, but I mean, what we're here. that's what we're here for. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it sucks so much that this team is going through this because I like Boynton a lot. I think he's a good coach. I, I really do. I think he's a fantastic coach. Uh, yeah. Obviously he's a great recruiter, but you know, you got idiots that are getting kicked off the team. You're ha- you have guys leaving. You have the FBI investigating, the Nike investigation, the Adidas stuff. You have – then now this year you have your best player get mono, and then everybody goes into the worst shooting slump I have ever seen in college basketball. All yeah. going wrong in three years. Like it feels like at some point he's just got to throw his hands up like, what the hell do I have to do? Like I feel what like he's I- doing – all. and the thing is, in, and through all of this, he's doing all the right things, trying to motivate the team, get people excited about the basketball program. And so he's recruiting question, well. Now the question but, is, next year, like if if <laughs> ne- if this season ends poorly, which I naturally think it will, uh, because Oklahoma State just can't have nice things. Uh, there's so much riding on what we see next season. You get Kate Cunningham, you get Rondell Walker, you know, you have Ane and likely back. Yeah, you have all these freshmen. Shot at Thor. You have a shot at JT Thor. Like there, there are, there's so much riding on next season. Like if this team doesn't get to the tournament, we have to really take a, a look in the mirror of what do we have and do we go in another direction? Um, well, and and here's here's what I would say. So okay, so Oklahoma State won. Uh, what what did we win? Three games last year. In Con- four, I think we won like four or five, maybe. We won four or five. Something like Ford's that. last year. Yeah, Ford's last year. Oh, God, that was we, terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. We won three. But, yeah, we won, what, four, five, five? I think maybe we won five last year. Okay. So you win five games last year. Let's say this season you win three. Okay. That's not that's not outside the realm of reality. Oh, no, not okay. at all. That's not – I mean, do I think that uh, – I think they could get back to four or five maybe. Because they just they need to get one under the if they get it's one of those things they get one under their belt then they you know now you believe you can win a game you get going and you can't lose the team right you got young kids you got to get them to keep fighting but this is a three to five wins right two wins would just be brutal two wins would be brutal but and and people can yap all they want about Boynton he's not going anywhere he just recruited you know number one arguably player in the country yeah number one player in the country. He's not going anywhere, guys. But here's what I would expect. I would expect next season for them to look different. Yeah. Right? It's got to look different. And, you know, hopefully they don't get bad breaks like they did this year. I mean, what the hell? How does likely getting mono suck the life out of the team? Yeah, I, and people talk about, like, He's the straw that stirs the drink. And I knew he was a good player. And I've talked about this on the podcast multiple times that, you know, how good of, we saw how good of a player he was last season. We saw the jump that he took at the beginning of the season, like that Syracuse game, the old miss game where he almost dropped 30. I think it was in the Syracuse game. 
it, it was yeah. incredible. And you see that what he does on the offensive defensive end to make the team better. And he makes the guys around him better. He gets, he's out and it's a completely different team. Yeah. And you see and the significant impact that he makes. He's still not a hundred percent. I think he's getting better. I like, I think you saw the Baylor game is where he's kind of turned a corner. And I think he's starting to kind of get on the truly on the other side of it. Um, but it's got to happen a lot quicker now if, you know, we got to win a couple games in conference play. I feel like this is a team not – I, I think they're completely different than the team we saw under Brad Underwood because they actually give a shit about playing on defense. But um, I think if this team wins one game – and I think I think the, game, the first game they won in conference was a game where they went and just beat the shit out of Texas Tech in Lubbock. If I remember correctly, I think that was the first game that Brad Underwood that Brad Underwood team won in conference. I think if this yeah. team wins one game, they have a run in them. I'm not saying it's a tournament run, but I think. Uh, but I agree with that. I I don't think it's necessary. But if they can get to, I think if they can get to five or six wins in conference play somehow, I think that gives enough momentum going into next season that you feel good about where they're at in what is essentially would essentially be a lost season. I think right. if, and, and you got to play the freshman. You yes. got to keep you just got to keep rotating those guys out there, man, mm-hmm. as much as possible. Yeah. And I know guys get dinged up or somebody's not healthy and whatnot. You you have got to play all these guys. I mean, if I think it's it's going to uh, take one full if these guys can play one complete game because the offense is starting to come back a little bit. We saw it in the Baylor game, we saw it at Iowa State in spurts. Yeah. And that, and then the defense just kind of craps itself at the end. So it's just like, man, what the hell are you going to do? But if but they that's can, the thing Underwood did. If by if, the way, that's the thing Underwood did. Yeah, is they playing? If you remember, we were zero and six, and Underwood was playing that same jumping the passing lanes yeah. and all that stuff, and we were getting killed. Yeah, they they definitely and sagged he, back and played a little more matchup zone and things like that. Yes, he started to say, okay, let's just play face up defense. And keep these guys in front of us, and it t- completely transformed. The, yeah. They went nine and three the rest of the season. Yeah, I think if they can play a game like they did against, I believe, or they they play Texas A and M on Saturday. That's not a good team. That's a game you have to win. If they can yeah, go and play a complete forty minute game and get a win, I think just a win, even if it's ugly as shit. That's gonna. I think this team is gonna turn a corner. The freshmen go. Oh, that's what it's like to win again. That's what it's like to win in a in a big environment. That, I think that is just gonna pay dividends the rest of the season. If they keep losing, man, it's gonna be a huge problem next year because you just that's don't. Good. Right now, then you have back to back years of not having a winning culture, and the guys that you know have seen a winning culture are gone. Those three yeah. seniors, at least, if they've seen flashes of it, they're fre- they're sophomore and they're, they're freshmen and sophomore seasons. When you had Brad Underwood that year, and then you had a Mike Boynton team that got to the NIT, probably should have been in the NCAA tournament. The last two years, twelve game, won twelve games last year, and then you're probably going to win twelve or thirteen this season, maybe a little bit more if you get on a run. But you, they, the freshmen have to know what it's like to win, and then yeah. you have the, then you have the uber talented freshman coming next year. That the winning culture has to come back. Otherwise, we really have to look in the mirror of what we have and what's next. Uh, there's yeah. a ton of writing on next season if this season doesn't turn around. All right. Well, I've, and well, and I would just say this: there's a ton writing on next season. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. And and I would say this: I mean, you made a great point that in in any sport, winning can become that mental thing. It's infectious, right? It really is. It's infectious. And here's 
here's a great example, even on a very small, you know, bullshit amateur athletic level, right? When I was in junior college, uh, I'd gone to Oklahoma State. I left school after a year and a half. I was out for a couple of years. I went back to school. I went to Dodge City Community College, and I was playing on the golf team. And our golf coach was terrible. The guy barely could break 100, but he was into all the psychological stuff, right? And so he used to have us watch these videos that were like, oh, my God, it was like, it was, the cra- it was crazy, these videos he'd have us watch. But if you played in a tournament and you struggled and you shot like 85 in the tournament, right? Because the expectation when we played was you're shooting in the 70s. If you went out and you struggled and you couldn't break 80, you didn't play well, that following practice round, when we, the next day when you were back at our home course, you went out and you played the women's tees. (laughs) Because you could probably slap it around off the women's tees at that course and still shoot. You could, you could play horrible and shoot 77 or 76, right? And so you got that number back in your head. You got that expectation back in your head, right? When we drove to tournaments, this guy had, had lived a life all over the state of, of, of the western half of Kansas. And whenever we drove to a meet or, or you know, a, a tournament, he knew where all the 84 lumber places were. And so he would avoid them. He would take roads around towns to avoid driving past an 84 lumber so that we wouldn't see the number 84. <laughs> so you wouldn't have that in your head. Okay. That's how mental winning is. I, I, when I was in, still in the golf business and I was at a, a pro at a club up near Syracuse, New York, and we would walk out to the, when I was first there, I was, I'd just gotten the head pro job. I'd been an assistant there a couple of years and I was a pretty good player, right? Um, I would walk out on the first tee and my, in my head, I walked out onto the first tee knowing, well, whatever I'm going to gamble with the members, I'm going to win. It's just a matter of, of how, how bad it's going to be, right? I just, I just walked up on the first tee, and, and my head just said, I'm, I never even thought about losing. It was, well, I wonder how much I'm going to collect today. It's mental. It's all mental. There was one guy there who I couldn't beat. Couldn't beat him for the life of me. Could not beat him. And it was mental. It was all mental. My assistant, my first assistant pro, was a really good player. And we'd go out and just knock it around. And I'm like watching this kid play. And we go, holy crap, this guy can play. You know, he's on a different planet than me. He's down, uh, he's, he's a head pro someplace down in North Carolina now. Um, and we go out like it was early in the season. And we go out one day and so we were playing a match. It's the first time we'd really played a match. And we're six holes in, and I think I'm like four or five down. And I've pressed, and I'm down on the press. 
and I am getting absolutely lathered because he's just he's making birdies and whatever. And on the seventh hole at Beaver Meadows Country Club, I hit a little five iron down into the middle of the fairway, and it's a blind shot onto the green. And I hit a, about a I don't know maybe a three quarter wedge on the green into the jar for an eagle. And from that point on, he couldn't beat me. It totally blew his mind. And from that point forward, he couldn't figure out how to beat me. And I would always chip something in, or I'd always make a long putt, or he'd, he'd, he'd maybe hit a t shot that would just filter into the right rough, but it would end up dead behind a tree. So winning is mental. It's everything about it is mental. And you're absolutely right. If they could just get one under their belt, it it could it could completely transform what's going on. Yeah, I said it on the last podcast. This team is in need of a dig me sesh so badly that it <laughs> it it would help. I'm telling you, like it's a slump buster in baseball. Why not? Why can't it work in basketball? <laughs> Right, exactly, right. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's awesome. Well, who knows? Who do we play this weekend? Texas Holy a Texas A&M. It's the right. SEC well, Big 12 challenge. Big, right. yes, it's a challenge. I'm thinking Big 12. So our next Big 12 game is, is it Kansas? It's Kansas at home. And DeSosa's out and McCormick will be out. Kansas at home, DeSosa's out, McCormick's out. Do you think we get, do you think we get 10,000 people in the place? I mean, I can. I mean, it's Kansas. They'll fill up. I don't wow. know how, but that's the thing. I mean, I didn't write a post on this, but if folks saw my Twitter, uh, my tweets, um, th this is the season that we're Oklahoma State's in danger of for the first time since Gallagher Iba expanded, not having at least one crowd. Of ten thousand plus in conference play, I bet I bet it happens for Kansas. Like it might be right at ten thousand. Got to be Kansas or OU. Yeah. Either Kansas or OU. One of those two. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. It's just a matter of which game it is. And I think if this team turns it around quickly, people are going to get bought back in really quick. But right now, winning is infectious for the players as it is for the fans. And when teams are losing, naturally, you're not going to want to go to the game, especially when they're losing in the fashion that Oklahoma State has and outside uh. of the Baylor game. So. I think there's I think there's still time for the season to turn around, even if it's just they get on a little hot streak and they, you know, sneak into the NIT or something like that. I think that at least builds enough momentum going into twenty twenty that you feel good about where they're at and there's not as much of a I mean, obviously there's high expectations for next season, but it's not a die it's not as the expectations are not as dire as they could possibly be going into next season, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I would I would I would argue right now, just if there this team is not playing in the postseason, it's not happening. Yeah, there's nothing about what we're watching uh, that you know this team is good. There, uh, no, it's not happening. So the 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 biggest the biggest thing we can hope for, the best thing we can hope for here, is that we we see some flashes from the younger players. That's what you want to hope for. You want to, Dezagua and Waters and, and Cam 
are done. They're done. I love them, but they're done. This is their this is their ride out, and they're not going anywhere. So I want to see flashes from the young guys. I think Anderson is starting to show that a little bit. Uh, I want to see um, Boyton as a coach take take some chances. Do do let's. I want to see something different in an offensive set. Right. Other than that, sorry ass, you know, mo- high motion crap. Um, you know, I want to see him do do some different things. Get creative. OK, just run some really crazy crap. Um, get your RNA away from the basket and shoot the ball some like we talked about. But I mean, th- this team's not going. I mean, th- this season, I hate to say it. For folks, but I mean, this season's cooked. This is done. This the team we're watching right now, unless something drastic happens, something drastic has to happen. Um, I I just I I they're not going to the postseason. So we need to see certain things happen as we finish the season. To you know, I, I'd say you want to see some some lightning from some freshmen, some development, and you want to see Boyton, you know, exercising some X's and O's here. And at that point, you say, okay, all right, cool. You know, you've got some really good players coming in next year. We realize some of these freshmen are, are going to be really good. You know, that could be fine. But but that being said, next season you you can't you can't have this. No, not not at all. Yeah, no, you you can't have this. Next season's got to be markedly better than this season. I don't care how you start. Big 12 play is going to be everything. So it has to be markedly better or, you know, at that point I'm saying, you know, sorry, Mike, it's been a good run. You recruited, but, you know, we got to we got to figure something out. And then and then take your shot, because guess what? Historically, Oklahoma State's not a good basketball program. We'll see what happens. I don't, I don't want to get too far into the future because, man, Oklahoma, being an Oklahoma State fan is already sad and made me a cynical asshole enough. I don't need to make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- Listen, I love it. I've been doing it since, you know, like I said earlier, I've been doing it since 1971 72. Reuben Gant. Look it up, folks. Reuben Gant was my first favorite Oklahoma State football player. Brett Blackman was number two. Terry Miller was number three. I had a bumper sticker on the back of my blue Chevy pickup truck that said the girdle for Heisman (laughs) because he used to wear actual girdles because he had hamstring issues. Okay. But Charlie Weatherby... Harold Bailey, uh, I remember Gary Irons fumbling a freaking interception against Colorado. Uh, he intercepted it in the end zone and came out and fumbled it on the one, and then Colorado recovered and went in and scored a touchdown to beat us at the end of the game. I mean, I, I, there's so many things I remember. Jim Snyder, J- Jimmy Johnson, for Christ's sake, press on. I remember watching his coaching shows. Press on. That was the stupidest slogan in the world. Uh, I had a kid who graduated from Pahuska, Oklahoma, the year before I did, Eric Roark, um, who ended up being a walk-on. 
uh, made it on special teams. Uh, he coached at uh, UTSA at uh, Texas San Antonio for a number of years. And he's somewhere he's in Colorado now. He might still be coaching some. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, listen, I went through all of that. You, you live with them and you die with them. And I had uh, at my son's soccer game. Here's, this is what I'll close with. I've talked way too much. Micah promised me all I had to do was come on here and listen to you talk, right? And and I'm sure people t- are, I'm sure people would rather listen to you than me at this point. No, I wrote an article that pissed them all off. So I, <laughs> that, I don't know about that. But so I'm at my son's uh, indoor soccer league game, and I'm coaching his team, and and every weekend, so that when the parents walk in, they immediately see where coach is. I always wear some orange Oklahoma State top, like zip-up thing that says OSU on the chest. It's got Pistol Pete on the chest, and I've got an OSU hat on, and there is no mistaking who your who the soccer coach is for your team, right? And as I'm walking off the floor, uh, there was a kid who he couldn't be at the first game. He's at the second game, and he had a, he had a nice game. He's a goalie, and it was great. Uh, and, and as we're walking off the floor, the parents said, you know, thanks you guys, you know, you, you know, uh, Anthony's glad to be here and blah, blah, blah. And he likes playing goalie. You know, thank you very much. I said, cause it helped the team out. Cause now I can play some other people, different places. And he looks at my, my top and he goes, Oklahoma state, huh? I said, yep. I said, you got to live with them and die with them. He goes, yeah. He says, I'm a Michigan State guy, but I don't say that too loud. <laughs> so that, you live, you, you listen, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm wearing, I'm wearing the colors. My wife will tell you. There's, I don't, there's, when I'm working from home, I wear nothing but Oklahoma State clothing. If I need to know anything about my introduction to OC Fandom, because both my parents went to Oklahoma State. My dad's freshman year was 1988 when Sanders won the Heisman. See, what's hilarious, wait, though. Wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's just, can we back up a second? Sure. Your dad's freshman year was what? 1988. Now, okay, before you get too far, my dad graduated from high school in 1982, and then he went in the Army for four years. He was home for two years, and then went in the Army, and then he got out. And so he was 20. He That's was, right. He was 24 I, I, when he went to college. It wasn't, you didn't have your dad at the game, right? In October. No, he was not. No, I met, it was somebody else's dad I met, but so, okay, I'll, I, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to go into a state of depression because he's only two years younger than me. So that's right. all right. But my, I, I digress. I knew more about Brent Parker than I knew about Barry Sanders for a very long time because he's the guy that dropped the ball in the back of the end zone. Uh, my dad said he was in that end zone, like right up on the stu- like right up on the the end zone, and he he said like I knew more about Brent Parker than I did Barry Sanders for a very long time because of that game. Uh, that was my introduction to Oklahoma State sports. That, by the way, that by the way, even though we lost. That's probably, I would say that 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 has to go down in my books as, to me, that's like the 1971 Nebraska OU of, of Bedlam's. Yeah. To me. That, that, I, I know Oklahoma State didn't win, 
But that was just an epic, just an epic football game. 1976 was an epic football game. Uh, you know, of, of really good, you know, 2001, Oklahoma State won. That was not a great football game. That was a horrible football game. Um, 2002, again, I mean, it was an okay football game. It was it was entertaining to watch, but it, it just, 1988 to me, even though they lost, that just was an, just a, that was just an epic, epic football game. Epic football game. So, right. yeah. All right, Robert. We, well, this, this is we've gone down that depressing avenue. Right, I think it's let's not make uh, it worse here, man. All right. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming on tonight. This was a ton of fun. I think it was very cathartic for both of us to get this out uh, out on airwaves and talk about it a little bit. Um, I'm sure that we're going to have more depressing basketball talk as the rest of the season rolls on. But you know, at some point, I think it's it's as much of it is a tough pill to swallow. Uh, of the article you wrote and the, you know, the data that you present, it's, you know, you got to look in the mirror and just see, you know, facts are facts. Um, And I, I would, I would go to folks and say, I'm not saying that the basketball program sucks. I I didn't say that. I'm, I'm simply saying that, you know, outside of two coaches, and you can say that for a lot of basketball programs outside of maybe one or two really special eras in a program's history. You know, if you're not a winning program outside of that, to me, you're not historically at least good. No, I think, and, I think that's a very fair point. Yeah, I see, right. I see and I and and I think from an Oklahoma State perspective, then you know you're you're really left with all right. Well, we we've got to. Yeah, I said catch lightning in a bottle. You you really have to find that that diamond in the rough. Underwood was close. We took a shot with Boynton. You know, we tried it with Ford. Ford had Ford had a resume. We tried it with Ford, and it didn't work out. So, um, so we keep trying. We hope that uh, Boynton's recruiting bears fruit, and he grows with his X and his X's and O's. Um, and you know what? Let's let's upset somebody. Let's ruin somebody's night, please. Absolutely. It's, let's, let's at least ruin somebody's night or a couple of teams. Let's ruin their nights as the season ends and, and get at least one game of 10,000. Cause I do not want to have to write a post at the end of this season of how this is the first year Oklahoma state didn't have a single game of 10 plus thousand announced attendance since uh, GIA was ex- Gallagher Iba was expanded in 2000. I can't wait for people to not read it, see the article and just hate you for no damn reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Listen, thanks for having me on. Glad you asked me. Uh, I always enjoy doing this. And I, 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 you know, I'm really upset that Philip, you know, is just was so adamant that he didn't want to be associated with my my discussion, my post about that. But, you know, I'll discuss that with him on uh, Twitter and in our Slack chat. All right. Sounds good. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter if they haven't already, Robert? On Twitter, it's Robert W under. I think it's Robert W underscore O K S T. Robert W underscore O K S T. Follow me at so. JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. We'll be back next week, and I have no idea what the episode will be, but we'll we'll have some sort of content out for you. And we'll talk to you later.